This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hi there, everyone. Well, the bumblebee queens are finally out of their underground dens and are buzzing around in the sun and visiting the native flowers in bloom. I just love walking through all of my gardens with my hot cup of green tea in the early morning so I can watch their activity. I also enjoy watching all of my plants emerge from the ground. This is, without question, my favorite time of the year. I hope you're also enjoying your gardens and your yards right now. We've got a lot to cover today, so let's get started. First of all, we have a contest to announce. We are giving away a really nice one-size-fits-all bird hugger gardening apron. This apron is perfect to wear in the garden while planting natives or potting up flowers. Be the first listener to email birdhuggerpodcast at gmail.com as soon as this episode drops. The first listener to email birdhugger wins the apron and will be enrolled to receive our free newsletter. Please be sure to include your name and address so we can send it out right away. And we have another announcement. Stay tuned in the month of June as Hawk Mountain will be very active affixing satellite transmitters to Broadwing Hawks. As soon as we have the details on Hugger, our Broadwing Hawk, we will let you know. Today we'll be talking about how to remove English ivy, an invasive vine that can harm native trees. Then we'll talk about the potentially perilous practice of digging up natives in the wild. And finally, we will speak with Diane Hoffman from the organization Hamden Alliance for Trees. This organization in Connecticut has taken some important steps to protect the trees in their town from overzealous cutting and pruning conducted by utility companies, and we will discuss how they did it. And now let's talk about removing English ivy from the yard. Now that spring has arrived, it's a good time to not just plant natives, but also to remove non-native invasives. One very invasive non-native plant is English ivy. Brought to the United States in the early 1700s, it has been advertised relentlessly as an attractive evergreen ground cover by garden centers for decades. Long marketed as a plant associated with rich aristocrats in Ivy League schools, like the standard American lawn, it has been revealed to be harmful to native landscapes and wildlife. Unfortunately, it's not enough to merely control English ivy by trimming it back. Birds eat the fruits and scatter the seeds over wide ranges, contributing to the proliferation of the plant. Wind and rain can also cause the seeds to spread to other parts of your yard as well as your neighbors. This plant turns a tree into a host by blocking sunlight from the tree's leaves and preventing photosynthesis from occurring. This in turn weakens the tree, making it more susceptible to disease and wind damage. Its adventitious roots can grow right through bark, making the tree more likely to become infested with diseases. 
Oaks, sycamores, and maples are especially vulnerable to ivy predation, which can even interrupt the tree's ability to take up water. Wait for a rainy day when the soil is moist and it is easier to pull up the roots. Be persistent in your removal attempts and you will meet with success. You'll want to wear gloves as English ivy can cause allergic skin reactions. Be sure to remove the entire plant, including all roots and runners. Unfortunately, English ivy can grow from small pieces of stem left behind in the trimming process. So be careful to discard of all remaining pieces of the vine. Covering the area with mulch can help to smother and prevent any new rootlets from forming. Another method is to cover the area with cardboard and leave in place for at least two growing seasons. It's important to replace the ivy with native plants to prevent yet another invasive from taking over the space. You can replace English ivy with cranesbill or native geranium. This plant spreads through rhizomes and seeds and offers a pretty pink and purple flower, which is a big favorite with many pollinators. Once the flowers fade, this plant, which can grow two feet in height, forms a dense and pleasing green carpet. Cranesbill does best in slightly moist to medium dry soil and prefers some sun, especially in the spring. Another choice would be native anemone or Canada windflower, which provides pollen to a wide array of native bees. This plant also spreads through rhizomes and prefers woodland edges with its dappled sun and shade. Growing one to two feet in height, the anemone forms big dense patches of attractive green foliage with pretty white flowers. If planted in wet to moist soil, the anemone will naturalize quickly. Another problem is vines climbing up trees. These vines should be cut at the base. Be careful if you choose to pull the vines off the tree as doing so can damage the bark. The other alternative is to wait for the cut vines to die on the tree, which can take several seasons. Removing English ivy requires patience and persistence, but will save your native trees and restore the wildlife in your yard. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. And now I'd like to introduce Diane Hoffman, a member of the Hamden Alliance for Trees in Hamden, Connecticut. This organization has done some marvelous work protecting neighborhood trees. We all know and understand that utility companies must sometimes intervene to trim or remove dead or diseased trees in our neighborhoods to prevent power outages. However, more and more communities throughout New England are expressing concern and even outrage about overly aggressive tactics by utility companies and how it is affecting the beauty of their neighborhoods. Diane and I are going to talk about strategies for protecting the trees in your town. Diane, thank you so much for joining us today on Bird Hugger. Thank you, Catherine. I'm really happy to be here today talking with you. Yeah, we're so glad to have you on the show. Now, could you tell us about your involvement in protecting trees in Hamden? You became concerned about the trees in your town when? What was the moment that made you think, "Uh uh-oh, someone had better speak up about this? Well, in 2013, we learned that our local utility company was going to introduce a plan called enhanced tree trimming. And it would affect the 17 towns that were serviced by that utility company. And their goal was to remove all larger vegetation, 
within eight feet around their poles and under their wires. And I was very upset because the plan would have removed all taller trees, including healthy trees, that grew under and around the utility wires and poles in the utility protection zone, which was at eight feet around their equipment and poles. It would have been especially devastating for densely populated urban areas that primarily only have street trees to provide shade and curb appeal and would have changed the beauty and character of many of our neighborhoods that had these trees. So I was really, really concerned. Unfortunately, I don't live in a well-treed area, but I appreciated all the neighborhoods that did. And I was really concerned that, you know, we would lose those trees. So that's what got me involved. And I received an email from a friend who told me about this. And we got together and contacted all the people we could think of that would be concerned enough to take action. And so we met and we formed a grassroots group and we're still grassroots that we named Hamden Alliance for Trees. And we go by HAT, the name HAT, H-A-T. As a result of our concern, we helped our Connecticut state representative, Mike D'Agostino, formulate state legislation that became Public Act 14-151 to rein in the utilities overly aggressive vegetation management plan. And that act was passed in June of 2014. That was my introduction. I always loved trees. I grew up with trees. And you know, when I learned of this, I was I just had to do something. Now tell me about the Hamden Tree Ordinance. Okay, the tree ordinance is actually has been in the making for eight years. It only just was presented. We have been working at we, it's the Tree Commission with HAT support, but the Tree Commission members did the work and they worked and worked and worked for almost eight years. It went back and forth to the town attorney and to all the different entities that had to review it and approve it. And it's been a real struggle, but finally, I think they have a really good ordinance Tell me about the Tree Commission. Are these uh, your average Hamden citizens that are on the commission? Yeah, so the Tree Commission, most of the members were members of HAT. We worked very hard and we worked to get a Tree Commission formed. And then when it was formed, the town asked for volunteers to apply to be on the commission. So several of the HAT members, founding members, applied and were elected or chosen to be on the commission. And most of them have stayed on the commission. They are regular residents, they have other jobs, they just really love trees. And they also really know trees. I mean, one's a retired forester, another one works for a local garden center, another one's in real estate, another one's a professor at a local university. I mean, but they're all, they all live in Hampton and just really care about Hampton and, you know, are really committed to helping Hampton have a healthy treescape. Right now, there's actually an open seat, so they're looking for another member. That's great. Now, what advice could you offer your average homeowner who wants to protect the trees on their street? Well, the most important thing, well, the way to start is that if you really love your tree, talk about your tree. If you're planning to plant a tree, tell your neighbors why you want to plant a tree. It's important to spread good thoughts and feelings about trees because of all of the extreme weather 
and the damage that's caused to our trees and caused them to fail, limbs to fall, people have developed a real fear of trees. And that fear is very unhealthy because we need trees for our survival. They offer so many benefits that our quality of life would be so diminished without our trees. So one thing to do is to share positive feelings about trees and encourage neighbors to plant trees, or at least don't take down the trees that you have, you know, prune them. If you have a concern that your tree isn't healthy, you can get a free evaluation from a local tree company that has an arborist. They can send those people out and they do. I've had arborists come to my house and hasn't cost me a penny and they've evaluated my trees. The other thing is it's important to care for your tree. You know, if there's a drought, water it. That's very important. Let's see, I think it's important that people take pictures of their trees and the trees around their property so that they have a record of what those trees look like in case, God forbid, they come home and the tree is gone or has been pruned in some way, something happened that you didn't approve of or know about, you have a record of what that tree looked like. So if you wanna pursue it, you can show the people you're talking to what the tree looked like then and what it looks like now. And I also think it's important to like keep a journal of your observations and experiences because then you'll be able to share firsthand if it comes to this legislators or town officials, you'll be able to tell them what your experience and observations have been. And that's very powerful because it helps those people to really visualize and remember the different uh, situations that people may find themselves in. You know, be aware of any notices on your trees or if you see a small, like two inch square. I suspect that states handle things differently. But in my town in Connecticut, they will pin a small, like two inch colored piece of plastic to the tree. It can be very hard to see. So it's important that you, you know, periodically look at your trees and see if there's anything pinned to it. Because if there is something pinned to it, it's probably an indication that work is being planned on that tree. And if that's the case, you can contact your tree warden or if you have a tree commission, contact them or you can contact your town council person. You can even contact the mayor's office and try to find out why is there something pinned to that tree and what's the plan. You don't want to wait until the work is being done. If you see something, you, you need to take action right away. You know, at the very least, you should find out what is planned and then, you know, you can decide if you think it's appropriate or not. Right. So we know what the utility companies are going to say. We They don't want trees and their branches impeding power lines because right. if a branch falls and it forces a power line down to the ground, then there will be power outages. You know, they often talk a lot about wind storms and winter storms, snowstorms, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So we know where they're coming from. Right. But what in your opinion, is the best way to deal with these utility companies? Is there a happy medium? There should be a happy medium because if they prune and maintain the trees properly, the trees will not come to that condition. Part of the problem in Connecticut is that they just stopped doing their maintenance work. They didn't do the maintenance work for like 20 years. And then all of a sudden they had this situation where trees were losing limbs, and they would often 
remove healthy trees and leave dead and dying trees standing, even though those trees that were dead and dying were reported over and over and over again, those weren't the trees that they would remove. They would remove healthy trees. And if they prune, and there's different ways of pruning. So one thing they can do is that they used to do was directional pruning. So they would prune kind of around the wires. They wouldn't take the whole crown off. They would like do a V shape. And so that the wires would go between the V. They call it martini glassing. Okay, right, right. Good description. I'm not familiar with that. But yes, exactly. What we don't want to see is ground to sky clearance where they're just removing, you know, the entire tree. Because often pruning is going to do the job. So if they really cared about the tree and the benefits of the trees and not just their ease of handling a situation by eliminating the tree and therefore eliminating all of those maintenance costs. But if they recognize the importance of trees, then we could live in harmony. The other thing that we really, or that I really feel is that more and more, we should be putting utility lines underground. All the lines should be underground because then we would have our trees and we'd still have our power. And it is a, definitely an expensive thing to do, but it's, it would require a long-term funding plan. And we have long-term funding plans for lots of projects. Eventually, you'll be in a place where you have no more above-ground lines and you'll have a much more beautiful community with all the benefits that trees provide. The Mark. other thing I would say in terms of dealing with the utility companies, just in general, is that it's important you know, to be polite when you're talking to them and also talk to the workers if you see someone, a company is doing work, you know, it's fine to go up and ask them, what are they doing? And get the name of the person you're talking to. You can even ask to see the permit that allows the work. Now, in most situations, they're not going to have the permit on them. But you can ask, you know, hear what they have to say. And then you can also contact the utility companies if you're concerned about work that's being done or you have a question. And in Connecticut, the Public Utility Regulatory Authority just recently required the utility companies to establish a direct phone line for people to call to ask questions about vegetation management and tree trimming and pruning. So I can give you that phone number if you want. That would be Um, great. Okay, so in Connecticut, if you're serviced by United Illuminating, the phone number is 866-829-4461. And if you're serviced by Eversource, the number is 844-275-3302. And PURA actually required that as a result of a lot of work by citizen activists, by groups like HAT and many, many other groups that petitioned and testified to PURA that these phone numbers were needed because it is so hard to get through to somebody who can actually answer a question. And often you need, uh, you know, if someone's doing work, a company's doing work, and suddenly you realize they're doing something that you didn't approve, you want to be able to get through to the utility companies to ask questions. Now, because these phone numbers exist doesn't promise that you're going to get the results that you're hoping for, but it's a start. And these phone numbers just became required in February. That's great. So now isn't the argument by many utility companies that any trees planted in the hell strip, which is that strip on the outside edge of the sidewalk closest to the street, 
is owned by the town or the state and they can basically do whatever they want as long as they have the town or state's approval. They don't necessarily need the resident's approval. No, actually what they have to do is they have to notify the abutting property owner. So if you have a tree in the strip between the sidewalk and the street, it's in front of your house, they call it a door hanger. They have a door hanger that they put on your door and it, it explains what's happening and it gives you the option to agree, to disagree, to refuse, or to ask for modifications. And it's really important that if someone gets that door hanger or if a utility company person knocks on the door, it's really important that you read that door hanger and don't feel you know, compelled to make a decision right then. You can think about it, decide how you wanna handle it, and you have a time period that you have to submit it by. So as long as you do that, if you do not agree that the tree should be removed and you want specific pruning to be done, you can say that. Or you can say you're opposed to any work being done. And if the utility company doesn't like that, the tree warden also has to give a, the uh, utility company a tree permit. The utility company has to apply for a permit. It has to be given to them. And then the property owner can still object. And if necessary, it will go to the Public Utility Regulatory Authority for a final decision. Often, utility company will just say, okay, because they don't want to have to deal with the Public Utility Regulatory Authority because by law, the utility company has to prove that that tree is a hazard and must come down. So, you know, it's not just that it's an inconvenience for them. They have to prove that it is a hazard and will create serious problems. So often, it just requires the property owner to stand their ground and you know, say no or insist on the modifications that they want. But there's negotiating going on. And unless there's proof, unless it's clear that this tree is hazardous, the utility company has to work with the property owner. That's great. Now, what is the best way to bring your concerns about neighborhood trees to your town officials? Is it better to write a letter or make a phone call or show up at a town meeting? I think it depends on how urgent the problem is. I think number one, people should in advance know who their elected officials are and have their contact information. So if they see anything is suspicious, they can contact them right away. You don't wanna wait until the work is being done. And then it's important that you tell your town officials what your experience is with the utility worker and what your concern is and find out what is planned for the tree. Again, it could be the tree warden, it could be the tree commission, it could be a council person, it could even be the mayor's office. I mean, it could even be the town attorney. You can talk, if you have time, talk to your neighbors about your concerns and ask them to also make phone calls or send an email. The more people sharing your concern, the more pressure on your leaders to take action. Also, when you contact them, you wanna be able to give them as much information as possible about what's happening If you can send pictures with your email, that's great. You wanna make sure you give your address, the type of tree, where the tree is located. Is it in your yard or is it in the strip between the sidewalk and the street? Because if it's in your yard, you have to get permission. They can't just go and remove a tree that's in your yard. And tell them if you know if it's the town or the electric company that's doing the work. And if you don't know, and the utility worker is out there, ask them, or if there's a truck there, ask them who's doing the work. Is it the town or is it the utility company? 
Also, if the town has a tree ordinance, it's good to get familiar with your tree ordinance so you have an idea of what's allowed and what isn't allowed. And if you don't have a tree ordinance, it's good to ask your town leaders to please have one written. And if there is no tree commission, you could try reaching out to garden clubs or land conservation trusts, inland wetlands commissions for advice on how to get an ordinance developed. As far as town meetings go, if the town council allows public input on any item under their purview, you can raise your concern at a council meeting. It depends on what the council's rules are. But if you have a real concern, I wouldn't wait for a meeting. I would contact your leaders as soon as possible. And when you do that, you can pull out your pictures and your journal to refresh your memory about other incidents or something that has already happened with that tree. And the great thing is now that you have a tree commission in town, you can bring Mm -hmm. your concerns to the tree commission. Not every town has a tree commission. Yes, right. And we have had a tree commission since uh, 2014, which is very good. You're right. Now, has Hamden always had a town arborist? No, no, we didn't have an, an arborist until after the public act was passed and the tree commission was established. And this was as a result of Hamden Alliance for Trees. Then we went to the town council and the mayor and said, we really need to have a arborist working with our tree warden because our tree warden at that time really didn't have the necessary skills to really be able to evaluate the trees and know the best way to handle the trees. And fortunately, the council and the mayor agreed that that was an important investment for the town to make. So they did put it in the budget, I think for 2014 or 15, that a consulting arborist would be hired part-time to work with the tree warden. That was really an excellent decision. So it's a part-time position. It actually, there's a salary involved. Right. Okay. Right. Well, two very important components to have in your town if you want to protect your trees. Right. So tell me, what are the duties of a town arborist? And what's the best way to work with an arborist? Okay. Well, I don't know if the duties of a town arborist are any different from the regular duties of an arborist. But it's important that the arborist is a certified licensed arborist, regardless of who is hiring them to do the work. Now, I'm not an arborist, but according to the American Arborist Association, a certified arborist is a specially trained professional who deals with the art and science of planting, caring, maintaining, and diagnosing trees, shrubberies, and other woody plant life. And uh, that's called arboriculture. And the arborists go through a really comprehensive examination to become certified. And to remain certified, they have to continue to take classes. So they are constantly up to date with the latest technologies and techniques in the field of arboriculture. And every tree skillfully diagnosed and properly pruned or removed by a certified arborist protects the residents of the town economically and environmentally. And that's been our belief in Hamden, that the services provided by skilled arborists are just immense. And they they really save the town a lot of money and, you know, really make sure that the trees are diagnosed properly and healthy trees are saved and proper pruning is done. 
Many towns don't have an arborist working for them, and that's unfortunate, but hopefully more and more will. That's great. So in the remaining time we have, why don't we talk about the many benefits of trees to homeowners and the neighborhood in general? Could you list a few benefits? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So yes, I mean, aside from the amazing beauty that they provide, trees clean our air and they also fight climate change by absorbing carbon dioxide, removing and storing the carbon while releasing oxygen back into the air. So they hold, they capture and hold the carbon dioxide in their leaves, branches, trunk, and roots. They also shade our neighborhoods, providing protection from the sun and cooling in the summer and reducing the heat island effect. Trees also reduce noise. They reduce flooding and soil erosion. They help clean our rivers and streams by holding soil in place and by reducing runoff into our waterways. And trees, of course, are also important for the habitat they provide for wildlife. They also help lower energy costs. They improve property values by providing their important curb appeal. They are filtering and screening agents that soften and screen utility poles, light poles, and other features that create visual pollution to the street, which is what we've been talking about. And trees planted around your home can increase its value up to 15% or more. The shade of an urban tree can add 40 to 60% more life to asphalt, which saves tax dollars. Trees also increase business and shopping districts. Businesses on treescape streets show 20% higher income streams. Trees also help us to stay healthy and feel good by helping muscles relax, reducing blood pressure, and improving overall emotional and psychological health. You know, they also help uh, with street calming because they just calm people down and people become more relaxed. So there's less road rage. And they also reduce the glare from the sun at different times of the day and season when you're driving. And if you're driving and that sun is just, you know, the glare is just coming in through your window. When you hit a spot where there's some trees and shade, it's a huge relief because you can actually, you know, see much easier. And also trees reduce violence. Trees bring people outside, providing more eyes on the neighborhood, creating safer and more walkable neighborhoods while they help to calm us. You know, and the other important thing is that with the pandemic, what we saw was that our tree spaces, our parks, our forests, and streets with shady trees gave us a place that we could go to that was safe outside. We could socially distance and you know, actually enjoy ourselves. It also showed the disparities in neighborhoods where there were no trees because if you live in a neighborhood where there are no trees and there are no parks or green places you can get to yourself without taking a bus or having to ride in someone else's car if you don't have your own, trees actually become really essential. That's another thing about trees. They provide constant benefits even when we're, you know, not aware of it until suddenly we need what they provide. You know, we're so thankful that they're there. So that's just some of them. They also, you know, in our forests and wooded areas where we have watersheds, trees are really important in cleaning the water and acting as filters. So the benefits of trees just go on and on. It's interesting that more than half of our drinking water originates in forests. 
And one large tree can capture and filter up to 36,000 gallons of water per year. And a mature tree can absorb 36% of the rainfall it comes in contact with, which would you know, reduce stormwater runoff and flooding. So it just goes on and on. There are just so many benefits. Right, so there's no question we need our trees. Absolutely. Well, Diane, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Was there any other information you wanted to leave with us before we close? Just that, you know, people need to show their love for trees and don't be afraid. Being a tree hugger is a thing to be proud of. <laughs> it's not something to be embarrassed by. You know, it's, it's, you're actually showing your wisdom by appreciating all that trees offer us and do for us. You know, right. the giving tree. The trees are always giving. I'd like to thank Diane Hoffman for joining us today. For more tips on how to protect the trees in your community, go to our show notes. Okay, let's switch gears now and talk about the problems associated with digging up native plants you find in the wild. The resurgence of interest in native plants is unfortunately also creating an increase in poaching. In general, it is not a good idea to remove native plants from wild places that you may happen upon during a walk across a field or a hike through the woods. Why is that? It's not just because our country's wild places are threatened by habitat loss due to deforestation. It's a little more complicated than that. Native plants form very complex symbiotic relationships within their environment, which can be nearly impossible to replicate in your average garden. Wildflowers are very fragile and usually end up wilting and dying soon after being dug up. Most natives pilfered from wild places suffer a 90% failure rate when transplanted into your average garden, according to the U.S. Forest Service. Every time an endangered plant is poached from the wild, it brings that species closer and closer to extinction. It's important to understand that native plants cultivated by commercial growers are raised in light conditions and soil mediums that are better suited to transplant success in your yard. Also, it's not necessary to poach from the wild when there is such a wide variety of flowers now being made available by dedicated and ethical native growers. It's important to keep in mind that removing plants can trigger the collapse of entire ecosystems and endanger the survival of pollinators like bumblebees and butterflies, as well as birds and other wildlife. According to scientists, some pollinators travel in very small home ranges and depend on a single species of plant. Once this plant is removed, the pollinators also perish. There are, sadly, cases in which an entire population of a single species has been stolen from the wild and then sold for profit by unscrupulous garden centers. When purchasing native wildflowers by mail, be sure to check the reputation of the company to make sure you are doing business with a firm known for ethical and sustainable practices. You can also think of it this way. Millions of people visit public lands each year. Resisting the temptation to take a plant home helps everyone to enjoy the beauty of our wild places and sustains rare and vulnerable populations of plants. The same goes for roadside plantings. There are instances when sites scheduled for construction pose a threat to native wildflowers. In these situations, local native garden clubs may be asked to remove them prior to construction. If you see bulldozers at a fragile wildflower site, Check with your town and local native gardening organizations. 
By working together, we can all help to preserve our native plant heritage. For more information, go to plantconservationalliance.org. Join Americans everywhere in the one-third for the birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now. Bye for now.